Are you ready to challenge the rhetoric? Today is Sunday, June 19th. My name is Sherry Roberts, and I'm your host on Challenging the Rhetoric. Welcome to the show. It's part two of Rise of the Modern Cult. As I've brought up a few times, I myself was part of a cult. That's part of why this is so interesting to me. Not only was I part of just any cult, I was part of, in a way, the very cult that we're seeing active right now with the Bundy Militia. And here's why. Every cause out there has an activist group behind it. Within every activist group are cultic tendencies. Many activists that are fighting the man, a.k.a. the government, uh, or government policies, they fancy themselves enlightened, and they, they call it being awake. And the problem is, is that when you're a part of all of that, you don't realize that you are the antithesis of awake. Because the more you participate in the cause, the more you give up, the more ingrained you become, the more you assimilate, all right, the more you do those things, the less enlightened you become because you're no longer enlightening yourself about any other thing about the world. Only those things which confirm whatever your preordained bias is. And that narrows our view. So we start with no blinders on and then through our life okay from from childhood okay from birth on up through our life little pieces of blinders are built and built and built and built and built and then when we become an adult particularly when we become an adult although it does happen to some people in in earlier ages but once we become an adult and we start focusing on certain causes certain things certain ways of the world we ourselves began adding to those blinders that were already there and as we add to those blinders we consistently start narrowing our view now am i saying that we narrow our point of view well we certainly do but i'm talking about our world view we start looking through like a toilet paper tube versus throw that tube away and take a good hard look around instead We've created this atmosphere that all we can see is what we see through this little tube. There is nothing else that exists outside of that. And all we point that tube to, the other end of that tube, point our view to, is the things, again, which confirm our bias. Whatever it is that we're concerned about, worried about, care about in the world. Now, families, on one hand, they do these things when it comes to budget and stuff like that. It's normal to have a, a focus, even a, even a finite focus on, on things can be good. But when you narrow your worldview so much and all you're showing yourself is the bad, the bad, the bad, then pretty soon you no longer have a filter of that bad that you're feeding yourself to filter out what's true what isn't and pretty soon you encounter what i encountered and that became that everything is a conspiracy everything is a, a false flag everything is a hoax perpetuated by the united states government Jay, what do you want to do tonight the same thing we do every night pinky try to take over the world that's what happens with a lot of these causes. And it doesn't matter whether you're left or right. It really doesn't. It makes no difference whether you're a liberal Democrat or, you know, a conservative GOP. -er. And I can say this with certainty because I have experienced this within the 9-11 Truth Movement. The 9-11 Truth Movement was something that I, I didn't become a part of in a strange way I was where part of it began or I was I was a part of the beginning of it is a better way to put it it certainly didn't start with me I, I did not single-handedly start the 9-11 truth movement but I was one of the very original you know very quickly um, very original 9-11 truthers and I gained a lot of steam and a lot of respect in the 9-11 truth movement and I it traveled, you know, to D.C. and New York and 
and then of course local you know local events in whatever state I happen to live in but it was really more about going national going to DC going to New York doing the events I've gone to the Senate building I've I've gone and tried to speak with Congress I've gone and I've done the marches I you know I, I I've done so many things I've had podcasts before specifically on the topic of 9-11 there are pictures of me out there floating around some of which have been used in Dylan Avery and Corey Rose uh, movies Loose Change which are all about 9-11 and and then just prolifically shared also I was very proud of the pictures I was proud of my banner and what my banner said I, I have a nine-foot banner that this is all sorts of things and I'll, I'll put some pictures up for you to see but I was really um not just proud of what I was doing, but what I was doing was emboldening myself by doing it. I was, you know, it wasn't like this little flame. I was a full inferno. I was completely what I call on fire for Christ, except it wasn't Christ. It was this cause, this cause of 9-11 truth. Now, I can honestly say today, right now today, that I still consider myself a 9-11 truther. But I mean that in, in the truest sense of the word of where 9-11 Truth began. And I mean that in the fact that I have spent, or I had spent, all of that time in the 9-11 Truth movement, for the most part, trying to get people to kind of come under an umbrella, to put all their theories of what they believed happened, all these, you know, um, cyber scholars that, that think they have it all figured out. Let's stop dividing the issue with all these theories and pretending that we're something that we're not and instead let's focus on the one thing that it seems according to polls big polls across the country that there is a large portion of people that do believe that we were not told the truth about what happened on 9-11 now maybe what was withheld from us is what could be revealed in the 28 pages that many have been fighting for years to get released maybe maybe it's more than that Maybe it's even less than that. Maybe even unredacted, there's really nothing there in those 28 pages. I don't believe that to be true. I do believe, as I have said for a very long time, that the United States government is responsible for what happened on 9-11. Now, I've had my share of screaming inside job. I've had my share of laying out other people's evidence and stuff like that. I'm not saying that I didn't do any of those things. That's part of the problem. I was just as bad as many of these people that we see today and in being that way I wasn't doing it because I was crazy I was doing it because I was excessively concerned about the implications of such a thing being true and if such a thing was true what does that say about our government what does that say about our citizenry and what the heck does that say about our coming future because it's a very bleak and scary picture it's downright frightening and that is where my fire came from again I had children at home I was a mommy you know my kids are adults now and of course I care and I have grandchildren that I care about but I think if things like that happened something of that magnitude happened today I honestly don't think that I would be one of the first people to start you know to be part of starting a movement <laughs> to go save the world now that being said if something of that magnitude were to happen again and I pray and knock on wood and all that it doesn't the possibility is that it will and I don't know how I'll feel then I don't know what my own circumstances will be then and I do know that as part of the telling of the situation of not just my story but the cult aspect of the now of the today we have to understand this part because it's about each individual and for me who I am right now is different than who I was how I live my life some of the things that I think about and believe in are different than you know 10 and, and 20 years ago and the same would be true probably for pretty much all of you regardless of of that that doesn't mean that our fundamental beliefs have somehow disappeared they're still there you know I'm just talking about the situational things that are the pieces of our life as as we evolve as we grow older and all of those have an influence and an impact on us but what makes us the good receiver of that in order to be a sponge because some of us are and some of us aren't so in order to become like a sponge there has to be something going on with you going on in your life in your world your situation that 
this thing, whatever this thing is that, that suddenly has your attention, okay, beyond the attention of, of the average, you know, the average citizen and onlooker to it, um, for, you know, like 9-11, for instance, everybody was horrified that it happened, sad that it happened, we'll never forget, and all da-da-da-da-da, but we didn't have, you know, an overwhelming influx of people like me who were like, hey, hey, wait a minute, something's not right here. Because there's always just a handful, and then it grows from there. So, again, what's going on in your world that makes you susceptible to crossing that invisible step, you know, or that invisible line and taking that next step without even realizing where that step leads? Because it happens. And so, without mental health being an issue, okay, let's say you have no mental health problems, no depression even, no nothing, wipe that off the table. Are you still potentially susceptible? Yes, yes you are. Because any given thing, it's it's all about how it touches you. Each of us have a cause. And the cause that, that you have and I have may be different. And the reason that it's different, the reason that we've chosen to latch onto it could very well mean because it has somehow touched us individually. For instance, the economy. There are people out there that aren't having money problems. And so all the economic talk out there doesn't mean a whole lot to them. They're not seeing the impact. But then there's people like me who the, the economic problems in, in our country that have been going on for a while now have certainly impacted me. So that is a concern that I have, whereas someone with money, you know, a disposable income still would not have those same concerns. So if I suddenly have no money or my financial uh, outlook has changed and I have small children at home, I have, that means I have a lot of concerns, right? Now, I was married at the time when 9-11 happened, so I didn't have the added concern of being a single mom. And it was my second, my second marriage, so it wasn't the father of my children, but he was the stepfather of my children. So I had that security. I just didn't have the financial security that we had had. And obviously, you know, I still was the, the mother hen. I needed to take care of my children and keep them safe at all costs. I had the bug out bags, had one for each of us in the household in the event we were separated. I had additional stuff in trunks of the vehicles that we had in case we weren't at the house and couldn't grab the bags that were there. I mean, you name it, I pretty much had it. Now, I wasn't a prepper in the sense where I had like a warehouse full of stuff or anything like that. And quite honestly, at the time, I, I had no prepping with regards to weapons. It was all about there was going to be another false flag attack, okay? I wasn't even worried about a foreign terrorist. I was afraid of what the government had up its sleeve next for us because I truly, truly believe that what happened on 9-11 is not anything that is transparent in the way that it, it should be. And so do I know what happened? No, I don't. Am I as not so crazy about it as I used to be? No, I'm not. And the key to why I'm not is all these things that we're going to continue to talk about in the rest of the show tonight and in the coming shows on this topic. So I really appreciate that you're here with me. I appreciate that you are taking the time to try to get it because as I pointed out in the last episode, it's imperative that that all of us get it even more so that law enforcement gets it because we need to be able to we can't just slap band-aids on things right we have a problem we have a you know something's wrong there's an owie in this country and we need to fix it not just rub some neosporin on it and then slap a band-aid and say you're good to go right so how do we fix it right i mean that's the million dollar question Unfortunately, a million dollars won't buy us the answer. The answer is not small, it's not easy, and it's not quick. But it starts with a very simple thing, and that's understanding. There is nothing that we can fix about anything wrong in the whole world or in our own personal worlds until we understand what needs fixed. And in understanding what needs fixed, we have to understand where it's coming from and why. That's simple logic. Otherwise, all we're doing is spinning our wheels. All we're doing is making fun, pointing fingers, or wasting time. If we genuinely want to fix a problem, if we're using situations as our own entertainment, well, then so be it to each his own. But it does contribute to the problem. And I don't think that any of you listening want to contribute to this problem. I think all of you listening realize there is a very real problem here. And this problem is about cults. So what we need to do now is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave my story 
where it is right now. We'll get more into my experience in the cults and the things that I did and, and then how I got out and all of that as, as we continue to evolve in these, in these episodes on the series. But right now, it's time to, to really talk about what a cult is, what to look for. I'm going to go through a checklist with you. And first, I'm going to run through the checklist and then I'm going to backtrack a little bit and we're going to kind of dissect a few of them. I, I won't even need to dissect most of these for you. You're going to right away as soon as I say them, you're going to be like, ding, 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 ding. You get it, you get it, you get it. Giggity, 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 goo. Stick around. But uh, let's go through this list. Now, this list that I'm using tonight is a list that was co-written by Professor Yanya Lalik. Now, Yanya was a part of a cult as well in the past. And she was not just a cult member or follower. She was one of the cult leaders. Her perspective, like mine, is is a little different. It has a, a unique angle to it, per se. It's kind of like information from the inside out and back in again type thing. And so I think that you'll appreciate it when she comes on the show, which is what we're trying to work out and negotiate a date for that. Her schedule's really book tight. But anyways, so let's go through this checklist. Number one. The group displays excessively zealous and unquestioning commitment to its leader and regards his belief system, ideology, and practices as the truth, as law. Two, questioning, doubt, and dissent are discouraged or even punished. Three, mind-altering practices are used in excess and serve to suppress doubts about the group and its leader. Four, the leadership dictates, sometimes in great detail, how members should think, act, and feel. Five, the group is elitist, claiming a special exalted status for itself, its leaders, and members. Six, the group has a polarized us-versus-them mentality, which may cause conflict with the wider society. Seven, the leader is not accountable to any authorities. Eight, the group teaches or implies that its supposedly exalted ends justify whatever means it deems necessary. This may result in members participating in behaviors or activities they would have considered reprehensible or unethical before joining the group. 9. The leadership induces feelings of shame and or guilt in order to influence and or control members. Often this is done through peer pressure and subtle forms of persuasion. 10. Subservience to the leader or group requires members to cut ties with family and friends and radically alter their personal goals and activities they had before joining the group. 11. The group is preoccupied with bringing in new members. 12. The group is preoccupied with making money. 13. Members are expected to devote inordinate amounts of time to the group and group-related activities. 14. Members are encouraged or required to live and or socialize only with other group members. 15. The most loyal members, the very true believers, feel there can be no life outside the context of the group. They believe there is no other way to be and often fear reprisals to themselves or others if they leave the group at all. Now, <laughs> do I need to explain any of that to you in the context of the Bundy militia? I don't think so, but I definitely want to go over a few of these and like really bring it home. So I'm not using clips tonight to do comparisons like the last episode. I'm going over this checklist. We're going to do a similar checklist in, a, in, a, in the next episode to deal with specifically with cult leaders. And that's where it's going to drive it home with technology for you. Now, this list that I just read to you about cults in general, starting at the top, the number one, about displaying excessively zealous and unquestioning commitment to the leader. Well, we see that, okay? We see that in, in very similar things in some of the others on the bullet point. And we see that with Ammon Bundy particularly, but we also see it with Pete Santilli followers and supporters. With Ammon Bundy, they call him Christ-like. Um, Brianna Bundy, his sister-in-law, is reprimanding and sh publicly shaming another co-defendant for being upset that Ammon has changed lawyers and what that could potentially mean to them while their cases are still tied together. And we have seen it with members that of you supporters that have started to distance themselves. We've seen them become under attack by the core members of these groups. We've seen lots of shaming, lots of humiliating, and lots of um, attacks. They, those that are in the hierarchy, the true believers, anybody that is questioning or doubtful or, or is beginning to dissent, they are discouraged and punished, you know, or punished, one or the other. There is all sorts of tactics that they use for that. 
as far as mind-altering practices that are used in excess or served to suppress doubt, I'm, I'm going to say that, you know, this isn't a group that we necessarily see them out there chanting or speaking in tongues. But even those who never prayed before have become part of this prayer circle of supporters. And the truth is, is that there's been a lot of excessive praying. Now, I don't necessarily think prayer is bad, but the prayer in this case has been used as a crutch, and it's also been used as a tool and a weapon against other supporters. It's something that is used to make you feel less than, to make you feel like somehow you are not one of these chosen ones if you are not a believer. And this cult because we're talking about different factions to it, it's not a religious cult, although parts of it are a religious cult. Because again, there's more than one cult going on here. They're just working together right now. So about the leadership dictating in great detail, whomever should think, act, and feel. We see that. That's very obvious. I mean, Ammon Bundy, you know, he puts stuff out from jail as well as Pete Santilli is still telling everybody how to think and feel. Um, those that are have picked up the reins per se since the people have gone to jail are in this hierarchy they're doing the same the group is elitist claiming a special exalted status for itself its leaders and members well that's for sure what's slightly humorous but widely or greatly ironic is the fact that these type groups these groups one of the things that they bitch about one of the things that they complain about is elitist the the these groups of people that they call the elitists and without realizing that they're doing the exact same thing and it's obvious to people that are outside of it but when you're in it it's not obvious at all that's that's a fact so um in dealing with these people and trying to understand you do need to understand that they really don't know what they're doing forgive them they know not what they do type thing the group has a polarized us versus them mentality yep not no no question there i mean that is for sure, if you are not with them, you're against them. It sounds like George Bush back in the day. Either you're with us, either you love freedom, and with nations which embrace freedom, or you're with the enemy. There's no in-between. You're either with us or you're with the enemy. That's, that's clear. I will continue to make that clear. Uh, the leader is not accountable to any authorities. Well, that's absolutely true. All of these people in jail are saying that you know, th that they're not accountable to the United States government, that the government has no jurisdiction over them and the issue, blah, 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 blah. So that also applies. Um, the group teaches or implies that it's supposedly exalted ends justify whatever means it deems necessary. Another absolute fact. So far, I'm getting ready to go up to number nine. So far out of this list, only one of them, and that's the, you know, the, the chanting and stuff that doesn't necessarily apply. Okay, so when we get to the next, and it's talking about Leadership induces feelings of shame and guilt in order to influence and control members. We see that constantly. There's no question there as well. Subservience to the leader or group requires members to cut ties with family and friends or radically alter the personal goals and activities they had before joining the group. Now, this is where it gets a little bit dicey in, in understanding this conceptually from how tech has changed that part of it here. And it's there's another part in here we're going to talk about that that tech has definitely influenced and changed so on this list so far this is the one where we need to take a step back and say okay this is a list these are older definitions or you know more modernized definition of an older definition again still not taking technology into account and the reason i know that technology is not being taken into account in these studies and and stuff like that is after speaking with uh with with yanya lalik and and others they were very surprised at what I was putting together and were very encouraging and, in fact, had said that this was amazing and needed. And so, uh, I, you know, I take that as as a encouragement to continue, but it also it encourages me to know that I've now stuck a bug in their ear and now this is something that they're going to be looking at more directly and thoroughly. And that means that we will eventually get some you know white papers and studies out of this that are going to be more accurate today so the leaders of today are they requiring members to cut ties with family and friends and radically alter their personal goals and activities yes and no because there are still cults that are just like past cults and leaders that are just like past leaders but because we isolate ourselves in our own homes with the internet we don't need a Jonestown in Guyana anymore. We don't need that. We're doing it all in our, in our own place. And what happens is when we become more engrossed in a cause or an issue, 
We want to talk about it all the time. It's that on fire for Christ feeling that I was talking about earlier. We want to discuss it all the time with everybody because we want everybody to care the way that we do. And when they don't, we're just absolutely astounded and we didn't explain ourselves well enough. So we need to explain again and again. And pretty soon we've isolated most of the people that are around us in our very real, you know, touchy-feely terrestrial lives. Well, when you start alienating yourself from the tangible people around you because of the Internet, what do you do? You go online looking for like-minded people and you bond with them very, very quickly. There's something, there's some terminology in the psychological world with regards to like online relationships and dating called the hyper effect. But I would challenge that that hyper effect is just as valid in a friendship as it is in a romantic uh, interest. And that is when people start connecting online, even if in reality, the words of those communication going back and forth would only be five minutes a week that five minutes a week the way that you had that conversation online or hour or two or whatever it is you become closer and more ingrained and bond to these people in a very hyper manner and 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 hyper not uh, hyper as in, in quick okay and so they're filling a void they're filling this void that the people that are around them cannot fill because they don't want to fill they don't understand it I always say that uh, for activists that they're afraid of you and not your cause, and that's because the our whole demeanor when when we're when we're you know hot on something. So back to the you know a leader requiring members to cut ties and stuff like that. A leader doesn't need to require that. We do it all by ourselves. And if we're not the ones that actually cut the ties, it is our fan, our friends and family in our real lives that do it for us, because they're sick of it. At that point that that happens, they just think we're crazy. And for many, they're probably right. On to the next one was the group is preoccupied with bringing in new members. That is for sure. Uh, they definitely, even though they lock up their pages and stuff like that, they are out there, you know, that's part of the thing is not just to free their prisoners, but they have to justify what the prisoners did. So in order to justify what the prisoners did, they need to constantly be reaching outside of their choir for new ears, new minds. That's part of the whole uh, hope for jury nullification, actually, is kind of the same concept. The next one was the group is preoccupied with making money. Now, we have seen, I can't even count anymore how many times, or how many people, I mean, who have PayPal accounts or GoFundMe or Indiegogo accounts or some other crowdsourcing accounts or whatever, or asking for checks, you name it. That is going on like I've never seen happen in a group before. Usually, back in the day, in the activist groups, the group itself might be looking for donations, but in general, people weren't doing anything on their own individual basis that would garner them getting donations. I mean, should you not work for it? Should it not be some sort of pay for services or something? Uh, I know for me that because so many of these people have become these grifters, that I very rarely mention my own PayPal account for the show because I'm almost embarrassed to at this point because it's it's just so excessive and crazy but the truth is is I work very hard at what I do this is not a hobby this is my actual life my job and what I do and it is up to my listeners and my readers to pay me if they appreciate me um, now I'm not saying that you need to send me a, a PayPal that's not my point here but when I see people doing what they're doing I it's like what work are they doing what is it that they're doing to earn that donation I mean do they just want free money because free money doesn't exist. It simply doesn't exist. Nothing is free in this world except possibly love. But for many, that comes with a price too. So what is it that they're doing to earn all of these donations? Because they should be earned. And where is the accountability with these donations? Because all of them are saying that the donations are for X, Y, and Z. But we're not seeing the result of X, Y, and Z. We're not seeing receipts. You know, we're not seeing the X, Y, and Z. So where do you go with that? Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely that's a check on this list with these people. I'm, it's all about making money, 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 money. And I don't know what's happening with that money. The next one was members are expected to devote inordinate amounts of time to the group and group-related activities. I don't think that that is coming down as a, as a mandate, per se, from someone like Ammon or Pete Santilli to the masses. Although some of their messages has been, you know, to tell people to do this, do that or whatever, you know, keep up all the hard work, blah, blah, blah. But this mentality of 
this devotion of these crazy amounts of time and stuff to these activities and to these people is coming from themselves. And that's, again, part of that bonding process. They have found like minds that they're now, you know, months later they're discovering are not so like minds, which is another dynamic to what happens in these cults. But they, you know, they find like minds and so they gravitate to each other like magnet. And they want to spend their time with each other, whether it's in face-to-face real life or in, you know, cyber life online or spend their time doing something that they can say that they did that has something to do with that movement so that all those people, all those like minds are giving them the warm fuzzies, the kudos, the pats on the back, thumbs up, the likes, the shares, and all of that. All of that is fuel to each individual's fire. So they self-dictate this to themselves. And most of them don't even know it. They think they're doing something good. They think that they're sacrificing the rest of their real world so that they can do this grand gesture that they're doing. And then the last one on that, or there's two more that were on that list, and that was that members are encouraged or required to live and or socialize only with the other with other group members. As far as live, in, in the way that modern cults are today that are using technology um, in the sense of what we're speaking on, that that would not be the case. However, again, and it's self-dictation, not necessarily from a leader, they are omitting non-like minds from their lives. It's that toilet paper tube that they're looking through that I talked about earlier. They don't see people outside of that unless they're looking for them to attack them because they disagree. And so they don't need to isolate by by living only with each other and 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 going somewhere you know like Guyana or whatever again they're isolating with their computers or their devices and the internet so so far two out of 15 we're going to get to the last one two out of 15 are the only ones that you can't absolutely say 100 percent are correct on this checklist that apply to the the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge Arm Standoff as well as the Bundy Ranch Arm Standoff now number 15 the most loyal members the true believers feel that there is no life outside the context of this group. They believe there's no other way to be and often fear reprisals for themselves and others if they leave the group. Now, I can give you an easy example of that. We experienced that with um, Shiloh Ryder, Molly Powell. Molly had made it known in many posts that this was her whole world. This patriot movement was her whole world. This was all she knew. This is all she had. This was her family. Because that's how it feels when you're in a cult. And you don't know how to live your life outside of that cult anymore. Because you've alienated everybody else. Your family is your, your, your fellow cult members. So we saw that with Molly. She said it with her own mouth. But we are seeing that. We are seeing that with their behavior. They say in, in oh so many words that this is the most important thing that they've ever done. They really believe this is a righteous cause. To them it is. Now, back to the understanding. When you're looking at a checklist like this, it's hard to look at things in black and white that way because there's always other variables. You know, we can't say, oh, aha, we got them nailed here. But then again, yes, we can because this checklist is not very different than any of the other checklists. I only chose it because this is one of Yanya's checklists. But the way that these, these cult members are is very reflective in almost every one of these bullet points that I just read out to you. With the clips from the last episode and this bullet point list, this checklist here, you can clearly see that what I've been trying to explain for months on end is that this is a cult. So in order to understand how to fix this, we now need to accept that to be true. Not cult as a blanket statement, not cult as a pop culture term, but cult for what a cult really, really is. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next episode when we delve into leaders, the leadership of a cult. So not only now do we have the potential that the internet itself is a cult leader, but we have different kinds of cult leaders now than we had in the past. Not just the followers and members now, the actual leaders. And how they work and how they operate is different. Some of which is because of how we now self-isolate ourselves. But it also does the complete opposite. However, it's within that cultic atmosphere and in that mind perception that begins to grow within an individual. So although one is isolating themselves in the privacy of their home via the Internet, they are also reaching out seeking for like-minded people, right? But when they do that, 
they're not truly engaged with them on all levels because we do not, and, and I don't care what anybody says, we absolutely do not behave the exact same way online as we do in a face-to-face situation. Whether it's a, a lovey-dovey situation or whether it's a, a heated argument, it doesn't matter. We do not behave the same way. And so because we don't behave the same way, it's almost like we're split personalities in a sense where our interactions and our engagements, although just as real online as they are offline for most people, they are not full. They are not robust in the sense of um, a true connection. Now, I've made some of my best friends online. And most of them, I've made sure that I've had an opportunity to meet face-to-face. There's still some others I have not. It doesn't make them any less of my friends because I haven't met them face-to-face. What makes people less than real friends in online engagement is, again, that behavior and that kind of two parts of ourselves and, and how we engage differently. And, and the term engagement is also a misnomer because we don't really engage online. We talk at each other. And most of what is done online is with the hope that somebody will notice, that somebody will hit like or hit share or leave a comment. I mean, we said it to the world. We, if, we didn't, if we didn't seek that in some way, some sort of approval for whatever we're posting, tweeting, blogging, it doesn't matter. Whatever we're doing, we're seeking some sort of approval for it or we wouldn't do it at all. Not publicly, not in a, in a mass platform situation like the internet. So when you add that to this weird isolation that you've created, so now it's even more important because you don't have that in your physical world. You don't have that approval. And now as you're getting the approval in the online world, in the like-minded communities that you find and, and you know get, become a part of or whatever, then you are now in a point where the the terrestrial world stops mattering to a certain extent because you're getting like an endorphin rush. Approval is a very, very, very powerful drug. Approval is one of the most powerful drugs there is. It is empowering when people are patting you on the back. And I mean, that's that's why, you know, football players slap themselves on the ass after a good play, you know, or, or, or whatever. It's all about that approval. That's why we clap at events. And, and we feel as, as human beings, normally we feel the need to also give approval, not just get approval. So the Internet is changing that dynamic where there is narcissism involved all across the board. I mean, let's face it. Why do we care to tell the world anything? Really? Who cares if I'm sick today? Who cares if I'm going to go to the shelter and look at puppies? Who cares if the neighbor backed into the other neighbor's car? Who cares who's having sex with who? Who cares what I ate for dinner? Really? Who really genuinely cares? And just because people hit like or share or leave a comment, does that mean they care? Now, again, I don't want to offend. I know that there are plenty of people that interact with me through social media um, and, and my websites and stuff, and they, and they do care. It doesn't mean everybody does, but I do know that there are some that genuinely do care, and they've shown that in many ways. But it's not the same most of the people that we interact with and engage with online, we simply would not interact and engage with in real life for one reason or another. Why is that? Because online, it's easier to accept certain things. And ironically, what we accept online is different than what we accept out of people in real life. Go figure. When people are assholes online, we praise them. We share their stuff. When people are assholes in real life, even if we might agree with them, we tend to shut up and back away. Why? Why is it that way? What is the difference? Because we're not so close online that we can't get punched in the nose? Um, Because I think with what we see, especially with what we've seen, you know, in the last several months with the supporters of the Bundy Militia people, uh, of all the doxing and, and such and the online harassment that's gone on with people, there is serious potential that that stuff could cross over into the terrestrial life of somebody. And so we can't pretend anymore that 
people can't find information that they want and can actually come and physically harm you. But that still doesn't seem to stop most people. So trying to figure out how, how that parlays into this is really pretty easy because so now you have a bunch of people who were withdrawn, okay, and then alienated and then isolated and then they find camaraderie and they're getting praise and approval and now they have a huge platform with which to brag on that praise and approval or do things and of course the bigger the better the more praise and approval you get. But here's one of the weird things about these groups and cults is that it doesn't matter how close you get with any one person or group, several members, it doesn't matter. At some point, you will in fact, every single one of them, okay, you will in fact be accused of being some sort of a plant or a fed, you know, a, an informant, um, an agent provocateur, uh, you know, you name it, you know, I mean, it's, it's so strange. I've, again, this is another situation where I've never seen anything like this. The paranoia is incredible, but here's the real question. And Mark McConnell, when he was on the show, him and I discussed this uh, a couple times briefly, and that was, if you are not doing anything wrong, who cares if someone's a fed? Seems pretty basic. If you're not doing anything wrong, what does it matter if somebody you know is a fed? And what's more is, why do people want to expose feds? Now, if they've actually done something wrong and you're truly a whistleblower and you have real evidence and documentation and not a bunch of sovereign citizen phony baloney paperwork that you try to wave and file and, and you have something real and tangible, that's different. But this strange obsession that people in these groups have with wanting to expose an FBI agent, you know, for instance... Because don't we want to have these sorts of people that are able to be undercover to solve crimes? I know many people that have had to call law enforcement of some kind, whether local or even the FBI, federal, in their lifetime or in their household or something, someone they're attached to. I don't think that there's anybody that isn't at least attached to somebody who hasn't had to call the cops or the feds for something. Now, why are they your friend one minute and your enemy the next? That has to involve more than just them. At some point, people need to realize that also has to have something to do with themselves and what they have done to their mindset to have this desire to want to expose them, put their lives in danger, jeopardize potentially important cases and stuff like that. Again, if you're a true blue whistleblower with some really, you know, credible information about very real wrongdoing, that's another case. But there are uh, certain means with which you go and do that. And even if the people that are doing this right now truly believed they had, you know, the smoking gun or whatever, they're still not doing it in, in the appropriate way that those things would be done. So, and that, that is very much part of this, this culture of these modern cults that we're seeing. When I was part of the movements, it was at the time I had already been in it years when someone named Luke Radowski came along and Luke Radowski is like the, the creator, the founder of We Are Change. And he is really the guy outside of Alex Jones. And we're going to talk about Alex Jones on the next, next episode, not tonight, but Luke Radowski, you know, kind of took on some similar tactics and grabbed his video camera and, would go and accost people, basically, whoever he wanted to target. These would primarily be politicians or uh, corporation owners or and like Koch brothers and stuff like that. And it wasn't necessarily that what he was hoping to achieve was bad. What was wrong was his tactics and how he created a cult of people that also began doing this. And that is going to relate 
and be more relevant in the next episode so that you will understand that because Luke Radowski is going to be a part of the next episode as well. Not He's not going to be on here, um, but as when we're talking about different kinds of cult leaders, he, we're going to talk about him a little bit. And so this whole in-your-face-with-the-camera thing that started in the activist world took on this aggression of its own. At the same time, or shortly thereafter, is when the the Tea Party itself actually started in the United States, the political group, the Tea Party. And it became this weird mesh of 9-11 truthers and then these Tea Party people because they were both supporting Ron Paul in the majorities. We're both supporting Ron Paul at the time who was running for president. So there was this whole kind of trifecta of things that had happened. Uh, very, very much is which bred a lot of the very people um, that are involved with these standoffs and these particular movements. And those were the movements that, that I was a part of. When Luke Rudowski had come on the scene, and Luke, Luke and I have made our peace and all that. It's not like we were enemies or anything. I just didn't like his tactics. And, you know, he's gotten older and more mature and, you know, he's developed his, uh, you know, his ways and means of doing things more uh, and I don't really necessarily follow what he's doing so much now but uh, at the time it was in my opinion extremely inappropriate it was very harming and that was a very pivotal moment for me when I was in what I felt was a cult and that is when I started realizing that there was so much um, hate brewing within this movement of, of different people and stuff and what was happening was things were splintering and not just because of like personal infighting, but because all of a sudden there was this whole slew of new people and younger people that came in, you know, wielding cameras and doing things that a lot of people thought were rude. One of the reasons that I bring up Luke Radowski is because not only was his tactics something that are relevant to today, but also that his tactics had involved technology which is relevant to today, as I keep saying. But also, it was around the time that Luke Radowski had entered the picture in the 9-11 Truth Movement that Pete Santilli was also starting to enter the picture. Now, there were many, many people that were um, part of 9-11. There were some people that a lot of people would never in a million years expect to be part of something so, you know, out there, this conspiracy theory, whatever. Um, but the, the truth is this. Pete Santilli started entering the scene. Pete Santilli started thinking about what was happening. Pete Santilli started thinking about other things outside of the limited base of what he was already starting to think about, like corporate fraud and stuff like that. Now, Pete Santilli is obviously very relevant into the now, the, the, the today's story, uh, the ongoing Oregon standoff, Bundy Ranch stuff. And as a co-defendant in both cases, one of the things that I don't think a lot of people are realizing is that a lot of the, the problem people, these true blue cult follower, these true believers that are, that are out there making a lot of trouble, are of, of at least two bases, and that's the Bundy base and the Santilli base. And that is what is very strange because they really are not meshing well. So it's this bizarre explosion of what the hell, you know, and really what the hell, what do you do with that? And it goes back to understanding. So understanding that there's at least two different, completely different cults here. So that means you have to understand each one separately and then how they're working together. I really hope by trying to lay this out for you, it's helpful. Uh, if not, it's a waste of time. But I think it can be helpful if you, whoever you are that's listening and whatever side of this that you're on, if you can just step back a moment and not be defensive on anything and, and merely understand that I've been in and out of this thing and I've seen it from all these sides. It's not that I am this dramatically different person now out of it. It's just that I am different. That's all. And that difference is more profound than you will ever understand until you get <laughs> to the other side. And it truly is not the dark side. Now, when I say the other side, I'm not saying that you go out and you suddenly become a, you know, a White House lover. That's not what this is all about. This is about the fact of when people are so stuck in this, they don't understand they're stuck in it. 
They truly, truly don't. So when I keep talking about law enforcement needs to understand, when I keep talking about you need to understand, I need to understand, this is why. Because if they don't understand, have you ever seen people in a movement so scattered and kind of obnoxious in this way and accusatory of one another with so many people involved really truly before in the past if there have been I I would bet that it's you know few and far between and that scattering is because there's no clear leader now and there were only these vague kind of people that that people were following that are now locked away and don't have the same kind of access to each other as they had. So it's like a bunch of chickens running around with their heads cut off. I mean, that's just (laughs) the truth. And I'm not trying to insult anybody, but none of these people know what they're doing, and there are several people that are rising to the surface trying to be leaders, both men and women, and that's not working out so well either because nobody understands that's in this. They don't understand what they're trying to lead. Because none of them really truly agree on everything. Everybody has a different agenda. Everybody's cause is a little bit different. So it's a a few minutes short tonight, but I think that I've got the message across that I wanted to uh, impart with you. And the next episode, like I said, we're going to get into cult leaders, a little bit more on followers and how they relate to the leaders themselves or how they become followers of certain leaders. And I think that you will find that show pretty enlightening. Don't forget, Wednesday is a live show. I have something special coming on Wednesday. It'll be a live blog talk radio show. So make sure you catch that. I'll make sure I get the promos out. And as always, at the end of every week, I want to remind you that caring means a lot of things, including what we put out there for the world. Words have power, and those who seek only to confirm their biases are the ones who stop seeking real truth, the ones who isolate themselves by ideology, right or wrong. Those are the ones that become susceptible to those who have different agendas. And in doing so, they become the creators and the curators of the very propaganda they say they fight against. And then they're lockstep behind their leader of choice, the leader of the month, whatever, whoever it may be. It's inevitably what trips them up in the end. Propaganda, it goes both ways. Never forget that. It's up to each of you to take responsibility for the propaganda that you participate in or you create. If you missed part of tonight's show or any of the others, you can find the archives here on Blog Talk Radio and on Podbean or at the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. And if you like what I'm doing, please share my work. Share the show, share the articles, share the pages. If you want to help sustain the show, the PayPal link is on the website, challengingtherhetoric.news. It's also facebook.com forward slash challengingtherhetoric.news there on social media. Again, you can find me on Twitter at CTR Newsfeed. My name is Sherry Roberts. I love hosting the show for you. I'll be back for sure next Wednesday at 6 p.m. live on Blog Talk Radio. That's 6 p.m. Pacific. Until then, be kind to one another, be open to people and ideas. Mm-hmm.